0: Welcome to Mint Dialogue number 62. This interview is with Sterling Pofer, whom I met at South by Southwest 2013 down in Austin, Texas. Sterling works at one of the most fascinating and disruptive companies called Vice Media. Vice are publishers, aggregators, curators, and social platforms all in one. As director of platform advice, Sterling's job is to help them navigate that world and position them across every place that the audience can find them. I believe that the lessons for brands are multiple, a stimulating discussion to say the least. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minta Dialogue Internet Show. Today we're piped in direct to Manhattan, which I'm told is not the sunniest of Manhattans these days. I have someone I met at uh, South by Southwest, uh, thanks to my good friend from the New York Times, Jennifer Preston. Sterling, tell us who you are and what you do, as uh, my friend Mitch Joel always says. Uh, who am I and <laughs> what do I do
1: I guess the question would be in what context, but maybe in the context of this chat. Um, I'm the director of platform for Vice Media, a global youth media company. It means I oversee partnerships and distribution, Uh, basically, you know,
0: how the brand exists in a a networked, I guess, media landscape. All right, so Vice Media, for for most of us over here in Europe, we're not going to know much about that. So tell us more about what is Vice Media.
1: Ah, I would hope that that would change soon. We have uh, we're a global youth media company, so while we are headquartered in uh, in Brooklyn, New York, we have offices in London, in Paris, in Barcelona, in Milan, uh, thirty five offices around the world. Um, and I guess you know Vice. It started as a newsprint monthly in Montreal in nineteen ninety four, um, moved down to New York in nineteen ninety nine, um, began expanding uh, you know, in, 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 different categories. So they launched a record label in 2002. Um, they had done events. They started doing book publishing, uh, in 2006, they did a JV with, uh, with Tom Freston with Viacom and MTV to build, uh, an internet television network called dbs.tv, uh, which launched in 2007. Um, and it was originally going to be, you know, short medium form documentaries um and one of the first things that they went to do was to shoot what was going to be a 10-minute film about uh, uh a rock band a metal band in iraq during the uh you know the occupation in iraq that uh short ended up becoming a feature documentary called Heavy Metal in Baghdad, which went on to win awards at TIFF, at Berlin, etc. cetera. And uh, to paraphrase our founder, CEO, Shane, um, he would say a bit, you know, that people always thought that, uh, that you know, everything on the Internet was shit. I don't want I say that. that <laughs> yes, right? you
0: can. Of course. Okay,
1: <laughs> no but censoring. It was here. great. And that, you know, film was the, the hallowed ground. And the fact of the matter is that the first thing that we did uh, went straight from the web, you know, to uh, to the big screen. And, uh, you know, that I think really was the beginning of the major change in the company, which was the fact that, um, you know, video delivered over IP did not necessarily have to equate with terrible, unwatchable Uh, Short, not because uh, just of the economics, but short because that was all that you could bear, uh, Ted content. And so, uh, you know, the company doubled down, went really into video. And in 2010, 11, uh, we were finally able to buy the domain Mm vice.com back from the pornographer who lost all his money in the market crash. And, uh, we brought VBS and vice land, which was the online home of the mag together. And,
0: uh, you know, they've lived happily ever after ever since you guys write in your core motto. You're the definitive guide to enlightening information. And clearly (laughs) you're in this, uh, this, you're in the youth space. You're, you're, you're basically multi platform, uh, with a major focus on video for sure. How could you yeah. what, how would you def- describe your editorial line with regard to this enlightening information?
1: Oh, yeah. Uh I would just say that we 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 cover the things that we're interested in and we think that we tell those stories in a way that you know that the audience finds interesting as well and it's just about um, I would just say reliability, and the reliability doesn't necessarily come in saying, you know, oh uh I want to know about music so I'm gonna go to Vice or I want to know just about fashion so I'm gonna go to Vice. It's it's a it's a view of the world through uh you know through a cultural lens. Um and I think that people come to Vice because they want to be enlightened, uh maybe not so much in the religious sense, but <laughs> maybe more in the sense that uh, There are a lot of things that just aren't spoken about honestly Mm -hmm. or transparently or candidly uh, in other media outlets because, you know, they define uh, their content output maybe by some mission statement written by someone who's no longer at the company uh, that was approved by their venture capitalists, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with Vice, it's, you know, it's just – it, it's just what feels right it's just what feels honest to us and that honesty i think resonates with
0: uh with our audience mm-hmm. you i mean some of the material you have is is clearly more on the provocative side you've got you've got a strong tone to what you're doing my question well, that's my my reflection my question then would be you are you are widespread you're you're global in reach do you see any differences in the way different countries are absorbing and consuming the media that you're producing?
1: 100%. Um, we, well, 100% and 0% to be, to be totally, uh, honest about that. I would say that, uh, it changed. So the audience changes because some things stay the same and some things change, right? Uh, we, the way that the the executives have structured the company internationally is they've allowed, uh, you know, each territory to, when they were building it out, they basically had to make sure that whoever was going to lead that territory understood the fundamentals about what the brand is. And uh, then they have to, you know, the, the, the founders have to sort of be a little bit hands off in the sense of allowing the person that they've entrusted to carry the brand in that territory mm-hmm. to mold and shape it, you know, to make it uh, relevant for that for that audience. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you, as, as cultured and as sophisticated as the people who uh, who run Vice are, you know, they can't be of every culture at every single moment of mm-hmm. every single day. So there's that, and I think that it's just a fundamental trust in making the right hiring decisions, um, on that side. And then, on the other side, um, you know, we do have content that uh, that is published in every local territory, but. Beyond that, what we'll do is we'll just track the sort of analytics or we'll know a big uh, release that's coming up that we want to make global. And then we'll take things that, you know, that started or that were may, maybe done by the U.S. or that were maybe done by Germany or by Mexico or by Beijing, and then we'll take them and make them global releases. And the reason that we you know have found so much success in that is the fact that a lot of what uh, you know Vice is predicated on is um, – I guess the, you can call it the flattening of the world, the networking of the world, the fact that there is a global youth culture um, that has existed, I'd say in a lot of ways, uh, but that is sort of formalized by the Internet. Um, and so the fact that kids in Stockholm and Shanghai and Sao Paulo can all be listening to the same thing, can all be wearing the same jeans, can all be, you know, interested in the same, uh, you know, music and culture and art, uh, I think is something that unifies the vice audience globally. And Mm -hmm. then honestly, like for me being of the target, you know, like the target, uh, uh, of that, of that, you know, of that demo, like. I feel that way. I do feel that way because I have my friends around the world and we are interested in a lot of the same things. And to make it feel like, you know, I am part of a culture that is beyond Williamsburg, Brooklyn is a
0: really, really nice feeling. Well, yeah. So you have this notion of a like something that cuts across all cultures and yet has local flavor because you know, each country has their own material, has their own, has their own bent and, and so you it doesn't so you, you have to sort of somewhat like you have a a cultural share, but then you have a local dive, dive down. You know what I mean? I would so, agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So um Sterling, you are responsible for partnerships and uh, partners and distribution, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, platform is such a uh, (laughs) nebulous word. But, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, you know, there are any number of places. I mean, it depends how uh, jargony I want to get in sort of like user experience Uh stuff. But, you know, there are different places where a user... Uh, can come across the device brand, or would expect to come across the device brand, or would hope to, uh, and that is from a device perspective. That is from a an app perspective. It's from a social platform perspective. From a publisher platform perspective. From an aggregator, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, just to put it in some real context, that means that I look after how we work strategically with Facebook, with Twitter, with Foursquare, with Tumblr, with YouTube, with Hulu, with Amazon, with Netflix, with the Huffington Post and CNN and the Daily Beast and The Atlantic, uh, with Roku and Boxy and Apple TV uh, and Xbox and the like. So that's kind of, you know, it, it's 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 hardware, it's software, it's social, it's 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 everything basically, and it's how we look at that audience across those areas, realizing that they're often the same people across different devices or different touch points, and just making sure that we're there uh, in the right way, and then that we create pathways back to uh, you know to basically come into the vice fold and to discover the brand to find some content and then to, to realize that, you know, this is something that they want to stick around with. So then all of a sudden we can build that recurring audience.
0: It's fascinating. <laughs> just listening to you. So I'm just thinking about how more traditional media must, must view you as some sort of strange beast, or at least what you're trying to do is completely far into what they've ever been brought up to do.
1: When I, I don't know, I think that the analogy that I, have settled on that I that I like the most is I just see what any modern day media brand and frankly, any, any consumer, any CPG brand, any, anything, uh, I see it as political campaigning. I honestly feel like it's the, it's, it's the right analogy because you have a central message, right? Some central value proposition, which in politics you call your platform. And, uh, then you realize that you have to contextualize that platform, that message for the different constituencies that exist. You find ways to contextualize that message for different audiences based on, you know, their own characteristics, based on their interests, based on where they live, who they are, and uh, and then you just try and create, you know, ways for them to join. You know, in the case of politics, your campaign, your movement, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and then the same for you know media communications. Um, you know it's just about contextualizing your message mm. for an audience to make it relevant to them, and then you know telling them to come hang out with you.
0: I, I so hear you. Yeah, That's really interesting. And and uh, to, to think about somehow how politics will use all these devices. A, lo- a lot of it can also be used from a research standpoint. So like sort of going upstream and say, well, what are people interested in and testing political slogans. So my question to you is what sort of what level of research do you have or do you find yourself more acting and finding out how that goes as opposed to sort of upstream preparing and, and, and doing more of a study before you launch?
1: Well, it depends on what aspect of the business you're talking about, right? Because if you're running display media, obviously you can run that in such a way that, you know, campaigns can optimize on the fly. You can run multiple pieces of creative and see what sticks uh, That on that side. We're not doing that on the content side, you know, where we're not running multiple uh, stories uh, or necessarily versions of the story. I think that there are some uh, some publishers who have in the past done things like that and maybe who can continue to do so. I believe that Huffington Post would, you know, basically be A-B testing titles and thumbnails on the fly and then just sort of doubling down on what works there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... I. We have a bunch of, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of detail on our audience. And uh, while we hadn't had as much in years past, we know more and more and more today. And really what it's done is it's kind of reinforced a lot of the things that we sort of inherently knew. Um, but obviously now having the rigor behind that is really, it, it gives us a clarity of vision, both in terms of knowing exactly what we're doing, but then also obviously in speaking to, uh, to brands and to advertisers, and making sure that we can uh, clearly demonstrate to them the value of the audience that we have.
0: Do you, in Vice terminology, do you use the word CRM, or how do you how do you view customer relationship management in, in the Vice world?
1: Ah, uh, um, I guess you could argue that in. That, that CRM could apply to two worlds, right? The world of the, the clients, mm-hmm. uh, the advertisers, and the world of the users. Um, you know, in a sense, uh, because we are giving our content away for free, uh, that means that, you know, the advertisers uh, end up being uh, incredibly important clients because they help enable, and, and this is, I think, you know, the the way that we position it, because it's true, uh, is the advertisers and brands who work with vice are basically enabling, you know, these audiences to connect with and to find the stories they're not really going to get anywhere else. And so that, um, that sort of, you know, modern day Medici type role Mm -hmm. is something that, um, that I think is really important to us and the good news, um, with the audience is the fact that you know we get it like we get when an advertiser is bringing a message to us enabling this piece of you know content video editorial whatever it may be that i'm about to consume uh and you know we we get that and we we attribute that value to the brand Mm -hmm. which is a very good thing so to answer your question about crm and CRM on the brand and advertiser side you know yeah, we have we look after that um, as well as uh, anyone can um, oh, and wow. we're only getting better at that it's, it's, it's you know it's really interesting because we have so many media brands under the vice media portfolio and that's growing and then you multiply that out by territories and then you think about the way that brands are structured some are incredibly you know hierarchical um and centralized some are incredibly decentralized and you know anytime you want to do a global campaign because you know vice offers one of the key benefits that vice offers is a global solution for brands sure but oftentimes you know someone senior at a brand may love it uh, but then it's like, okay, great, let's all get buy-in from all the geos because, you know, they all have their own uh, budgets that they have complete autonomy over. So then, you you know, you end up going on the roadshow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for, to that end, CRM is incredibly important for us on the brand side. On the user side, um, you know, we had a user registration system in the early days of VBS. Um and then we got rid of it when we moved to vice.com. We, this year, will relaunch a user registration a uh-huh. user registration system. Uh-huh. And, you know, the, the key to that, um, which would give you a lot more data on your users, of course, and a lot more of an ability to communicate on a sort of like census basis with your audience, you just have to communicate the value of what it means to register. And so you have to obviously have something that, uh, that, that you can offer that's meaningful. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so we know, we know a bit, you know, we know a decent amount, um, when it comes to, uh, like census based. It's more like you have
0: anonymous data on people's traffic, but you don't know them nominatively because they haven't registered.
1: Right, I mean, we do have nominal data in some places, mm-hmm. but being able to look at that, you know, in the aggregate, sure, uh, can almost by definition
0: only come from having a user registration system, um, and we will have one. Sure. So you guys have signed uh, partnerships with some of the biggest names that I I saw I seen team, Intel, Dell, GE. How, how do those um, How do those get signed? I mean, who, who's going after those? You, you go to your headquarters and. And, uh, and how do you discriminate between these partners or what are the defining characteristics? I should say, if you put it on a positive spin on how brands associate with you.
1: Hmm. Um, I think that brands come to vice when they want to have an honest and open dialogue, uh, with with youth, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on the territory, it could be global, it could be territory by territory. And what we do is we, you know, we explain the fact that the best way to communicate and to cut through the clutter with youth is to add value to their lives, right? Stop interrupting them, stop. Uh, getting in the way of what they're intending to do and actually be the thing that they're intending to do. Participate in that. that. Mm -hmm. Participate in that. And, you know, like the thing that we said now that our chief strategy officer, Spencer, had said for years is, you know, brands need to think and act like media companies. Mm -hmm. He was saying that in 2006, you know, cut to 2009, 2010. A lot of people are saying that. And Hmm. every brand is automatically a publisher, you know, by the fact that they have facebook and twitter accounts Um, so you know the the next sort of turn of the screw for that is to say you know like how are you not only going to publish but how are you going to make what you're publishing meaningful valuable Um, Mm -hmm. yeah and how are you going to add value to people's lives like so that
0: was my that was my feeling is that you're going to be dealing with some large corporates and i know many (laughs) and And they come to you with this message like, oh, I've got the greatest product, I want to sell it. Well, okay. So then then the conversation gets a little bit more textural. All right, well, listen, I know you want to sell, and maybe we can find some better content. And how does that conversation go along? Because, I mean, if they're the ones paying, they're the clients, you have this sort of tricky situation where you're trying to vet and help them become more powerful, more meaningful, more relevant, and yet they kind of have the me, me, me approach. Uh, how, How does that conversation go?
1: carefully (laughs) um no it it, it all depends on i don't want to say this maybe the sophistication of the brand but also the sort of freedom that the you know brand managers the brand stewards may have in terms of what they're trying to accomplish and i think that what we do is we start by saying what what are you what are you looking to accomplish and you know, what are the key things that you think will get you there? What are the key things that you think may be standing in your way? And then we just have a very honest conversation about it. And, and you know, we firmly believe that uh, the creation of high quality, high value um, content is, is the key to cutting through the clutter and to developing a meaningful relationship um, with the audience. Obviously, the brand uh, has to follow that up kind of with everything else that they're Mm -hmm. doing. So we like to spend some time thinking about all the other things that the brands are doing to make sure that if, you know, this content is going to be some sort of, you know, tip of the spear, top of the funnel, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. sort of strategy. Um, again, in the same way that I'm going to different places and looking to recruit audiences to join, you know, what it is that we're doing with vice, uh, I would argue the brand might use vice to help, you know, do the same thing. Um, so it's just a matter of listening Mm -hmm. and of, uh, of having a dialogue back and forth. And then what we'll do is we'll, you know, we'll, we'll listen, we'll understand, and then we'll come back with a recommendation. We'll come back with a beautifully designed, beautifully thought out proposal and we'll talk through it. And, you know, if it works, fantastic. Uh, if it's going to end up being, you know, something that, uh, where the brand's needs are seemingly irreconcilable with ours, then mm-hmm. in that incredibly rare circumstance, uh, you know, we, we, we ha- have... To things that agree to disagree. Done,
0: you know? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I like the... Um, well, you know, listening to you, yeah, I like to think of this this notion between coaching and coaxing, coaxing people along. and And so I think us who may be closer to you in particular, closer to the audience and, and this notion of a tangible, valuable content, we end up having to sort of adjust people's attitudes and mindsets to allow them to to see the light, the enlightening part, if you will. So, um, Sterling, I um, uh, wanted to ask you, you guys uh, entered into an agreement with WPP a couple of years ago, right? Yes. And how, how, did, how has that changed? Because I know a lot of the folks at WPP, and I was just wondering, what, 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 did that change anything demonstrably, or has it just been of a silent uh, relationship?
1: No, it's been uh, very, very helpful. Um, I, don't know, <laughs> I don't know what level of detail uh, you know I, I can get into, but the fact of the matter is that um, WPP and Sir Martin – um,
0: SMS, as we like to call them. Uh,
1: uh, in very uh, presciently saw that, you know, that the advertising landscape was changing in fundamental ways and that WPP needed to uh, find strategic ways to evolve its thinking and its capabilities, right? I think that that's a fairly uh, safe uh, and, and, and broad thing to say mm-hmm. about, you know, the changing advertising landscape, and the question is, for companies as big as WPP, uh, who would have the uh, the foresight and the tenacity and the capability to to be able to act on that insight? Mm-hmm. Um, and Sir Martin did, mm-hmm. um, along with you know the the mm-hmm. folks at Group M um, and and others in the WPP Mark, family.
0: My friend Mark Reed amongst them.
1: Mark Reed amongst them, um, and, you know, they they pulled the trigger, and as a result, um, Vice and WPP have been able to sort of, you know, explore this path together and mm-hmm. to try and come up with really smart, innovative solutions for its clients. Um, that said, you know, Vice is not... not uh, a WPP exclusive, uh, you know, partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much as
0: uh, you know, we have the benefit of being very, very good friends. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, um, when you talk about all these different channels that you're dealing with, the devices, the apps, the platforms, <laughs> is there how how would you describe the biggest challenge that you face, Sterling, within the Vice Group and managing all these? these apps and what kind of advice might you have someone else trying to grapple with them all?
1: Oh man. (laughs) Um, I have, I have these conversations with, uh, with friends and peers in, in this, uh, in this world. It's really tough. I mean, there are a lot of different things to, to think about. One is, uh, there's the pressure to check every box just to sort of be able to say, "Look, we're here, we're here, we're there." I I don't think that you should be everywhere for its own sake. You have to be everywhere in the best way possible because, mm-hmm. you know, what do they call them? Uh, moments of,
0: uh, moments, I, I of moments of truth.
1: Moments of truth. Moments of truth. Right. There you go. Right, well, well, you, right. you. Like, wonder, and, and if it's and if it's a to be. If it's a shit moment of truth, mm-hmm. then like, then it's not going to be a good thing. So yeah, make it's sure that worth it. if you're going to play in these environments that are difficult to develop for, look at how fragmented Android is. Developing Android apps is tough. It is. Developing for the Xbox platform as it is now is tough. So only go to those places if you are willing to fully commit to those platforms, to those interaction points, to those whatever it may be. Um, just make sure that you are where you are in the best way possible. Um, as opposed and, to sort of you know, a spray other, and pray. Yeah, right, as opposed to that. Um, I would also say, you know, like, data on the user base is is tough. Um, you want to be able to see that, you know, uh, the Harvard Business Review wrote a piece on advertising analytics 2.0 a few months back. And they talk about this thing that obviously was probably uh, stated somewhere else, but I found it out there, is this idea of swim lane measurement, which is, you know, when you're looking at the ROI of one communications channel over the other. Uh, Whereas if you can take an integrated view and then see the impact that maybe social has in the context of, you know, direct marketing and out of home and television, et cetera, et cetera, uh, you know, that seeing that and being able to look at an ROI um, that, you know, that on, from a brand perspective, eventually they want to quantify down to, you know, an increase in sales or if it's a film release, you know, to butts in seats on opening weekend. Um, that That's a difficult thing. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I would say that the sort of analysis and analytics is one thing. The sort of standardization of development and of upkeep of those different sort of uh, custom built Applications that you may have is another part, um, and then also just like making sense of it. I used to think that I could, you know, put neat little categories: social platforms, publishers, <laughs> aggregators, curators, this and that. Mm-hmm. I realized that they're really like. Uh, what happens when YouTube starts commissioning uh, commissioning original content? Right. What happens right. when yeah, BuzzFeed starts writing things, you know, for 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 on behalf of brands. What happens when you know, all of these different things happen. They end up conflating so much that I think you just have to kind of accept the 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 complexity and not try and define it. And it's a very sort of like Buddhist view to take, you know what I mean, on on the advertising and media landscape. But yeah. you know, you kind of just have to accept it all as one thing.
0: Uh-huh. I had this friend, my friend of mine uh, in, in the UK. Um television company he said exactly the same thing and and it's sort of it's just not easy for traditional minds to compute people who have been to business school and have had 30 years of success you're telling them to sort of accept chaos in in in, in a certain way and that's hard for them to manage in their heads but it is the way. Well, Sterling, I don't want to take up any more of your time. It's been great to share with you. I've uh, I've had a scintillating time listening to you. Uh, Sterling, can you tell us um, how anyone could track you down or follow you or connect with you or anything else you'd like to tell for people to uh, track down?
1: Sure. Um, well, the, the Vice websites, our main site is at vice.com um noisy is our music brand that's noisy n-o-i-s-e-y dot com um motherboard is our tech site which is at motherboard.vice.com um we have a number of other properties which you'll be able to find from there um me personally i tweet incredibly infrequently (laughs) may just be broadcasts of four square check-ins at sterl the world uh my high school AIM username S-T-E-R-L-T-H-E-W-H-I-R-L and otherwise I don't know I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Facebook uh, and yeah my last name is Proffer P-R-O-F-F-E-R well
0: I'll put all of that into the show notes Sterling thanks again for spending this time with me I appreciate it and uh, look forward to staying in touch and tracking down some more Vice uh, Vice content wherever they may be the show on HBO. All right, will do. Thanks, Lester. Take care. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minted Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails.